0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 22 verses 1 through 15 and uh, again, I will point out, which I'll probably be doing for a while, <laughs> uh, that as we are reading these laws in the Old Testament, this is uh, something that comes at the at Mount Sinai uh, for the people of God uh, for him to live in right relationship with him and with each other um, and yet When we read these today, we have to make sure that we are reading them uh, and applying them as we go through Jesus first. Jesus is the one who said, I do not come to abolish the law or the prophets, uh, I do not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so as we look at anything in the Old Testament, uh, we have to then uh, ask ourselves how it is that Jesus fulfills this before we apply it to ourselves. Some will be more straightforward, some much less straightforward. Um, Anyway something to keep in mind. Uh, Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. And we do pray that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed to, uh, to have ears to hear your word and to have minds to think on and to understand what it is that you have been revealing to us about who you are and who we are to be in relationship with you through Jesus. And God, we do pray and that you would help us not just to have ears to hear and minds to understand, but, God, that you would help us to have hearts that are ready to actually live uh, in light of what we come to know and believe through your word. Uh, By your word and by your spirit this morning, we ask that you would uh, continue your work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 22, verses 1 through 15. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the guilt, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. But if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. If anyone gives a neighbor's silver or goods for safekeeping, and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges and they must determine whether the owner of the house has laid hands on the other person's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judges declare guilty must pay back double to the other. If anyone gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to their neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this, and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, restitution must be made to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the neighbor shall bring in the remains as evidence and shall not be required to pay for the torn animal. If anyone borrows an animal from their neighbor and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, they must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the borrower will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the loss. There we go. Turning then to our New Testament gospel reading this morning from Luke chapter 5 verses 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Well, I have some uh, good news this morning as we are uh, continuing our series on 1 Corinthians. And that is we have uh, finally gotten out of the section dealing with sex. So, there you go. That's um, it's probably more a relief to me than to you, but anyway. <laughs> uh, and the section we are now entering into and when I talk about these sections of 1 Corinthians, I don't know if you recall the way that the book of 1 Corinthians is kind of structured and set up is that Paul is taking these various issues that are facing the church in Corinth and he's saying, okay, here's the problem you're facing. Here's the problem that you're having in your church. Uh, ways in which your church is looking more like the Corinthian culture than it is like the body of Jesus Christ. And so this is the problem. How, what do we do about that? And then what does he do about it? Is he looks at that through uh, the gospel and says, okay, how do we apply the gospel to this situation? What would that look like? And uh, And so we've gone through several uh sections so far and we're entering this one that has to do with uh food sacrifice to idols so i know already you hear that and you're like okay don't sacrifice foods to idols got it let's go home (laughs) um you're like i don't i once heard uh somebody tell me that they (laughs) um their doctor said that they were allowed there was a special diet kind of thing and he said uh, my doctor says that I can eat as many sweet potatoes as I want before 8 o'clock in the morning. And I said, I already do that. <laughs> Not a problem. I don't want to eat any of those at all. Uh, before 8 in the morning. Ugh. Anyway. Um, and we might have that same reaction here when, oh, don't sacrifice food to idols? Not a problem. Or don't eat food sacrificed to idols? Not a problem. I already don't do that. We're good. Let's go. However, This actually is going to take, um, it's a pretty decent sized section where Paul has to come back around again and again on the same issue because of the way that this issue isn't just about this issue. (laughs) And so if we think it's only about food sacrificed to idols, we miss the whole point. So we're going to uh, read this, talk about it. Uh, Hopefully you'll see what I'm saying there. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. He says, Now, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that There is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, indeed, there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. All right, maybe you heard it and talk about it anyway. Um, this is, again, a section that um, Paul is not trying to give a... Um, a new rule, like here's the rule to follow, you eat the meat, or here's the new rule to follow, you don't eat the meat. Instead, this is applying wisdom and applying uh, the gospel to every situation. What does that look like? And so um, this is uh, what one commentator wrote about it. He said, Paul is not content with offering simple rules, a set of do's and don'ts to guide the Corinthians through the difficulties of living as people of the true God in a world full of other gods. He wants them to be able to think through the issues for themselves. And that means thinking hard about just who the true God is and what it means to love and serve him. That's what this is about, <laughs> is having that kind of view on everything that we are uh, that we are doing. It would be really easy if there were just a rule, and you just do that all the time. But there's not. I mentioned last week that there's a, um, there are places in Proverbs where you see kind of opposite things being said. And this really throws people off if they think that the book of Proverbs is a, um, a book of rules to follow or a book of promises where things will always be like this. Um, but that's not what the book of Proverbs is. But here's, here's an example for you. Um, One proverb says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Okay? Another proverb says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Okay, but that's saying opposite stuff. And you might think, oh, well, the the author of Proverbs got confused. You know, that one of them probably came way earlier and another one way later, and they just forgot what they'd said earlier. No, this, uh, the first one came from uh, Proverbs 26, 4, and the second one from Proverbs 26, 5. These are back-to-back. The author knew that he had just said this. <laughs> and, uh, and it is because these are not rules to always be followed. These are ways of applying wisdom to a particular circumstance. And so how to live rightly in the situation that you're facing requires wisdom. And this is what Paul is saying, but it's the wisdom of the gospel being applied uh, to every situation we face. And so in this particular situation, he says, okay, there are people who have been raised in a pagan Roman culture. They have been going and they have been um, sacrificing meat at these pagan temples to these idols. And, The way that they're going about that, they (laughs) sacrifice and then you have the the meal there. You can even go and have the meal, even if you're not the one sacrificed, you can go and get your meat there. Or if if the meat didn't all get eaten there, they sell it in the marketplace. That's where the meat came from, was from the sacrifices to these pagan gods and goddesses. So what you have is you've got some people who have been raised in that kind of a culture. And when they... Uh, when they are even around the temples, it kind of brings it all back. On the other hand, you have some people who weren't raised like that. You have Paul, who was raised uh, rejecting all other idols. Uh, He was raised as a Jewish Pharisee. Like This is how he grew up, was somebody who knew the Old Testament and knew it very well and all of its prohibitions on worshiping any God but the one true God. So for Paul, is it going to be a problem if he goes and buys meat and he's like that has nothing to do? Like that, we know that's not an actual God, and we know that that's not uh, you know if I eat this or don't eat this meat, I am not participating in that. On the other hand, what if Paul is in Corinth and he goes and has dinner at the local pagan temple? And you have some people who have been brought up in that. What are they going to think? Are they going to think, oh yeah, well, Paul knows this is nothing. Or are they going to think, oh, it's okay to follow Jesus and worship these other gods? Right? Isn't that the conclusion they're going to come to? That's exactly the conclusion they're going to come to. And Paul says, this is what we've got to be watching out for. Um, and, okay. (laughs) He starts this section by saying, you know, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. You could very easily say about those other uh, Christians, these people who are new to the faith and say, well, look, I know that this is no big deal. And these people seem to think that it's a big deal. Oh, and, and they, just, they just jumped to the wrong conclusion. They got the wrong idea. They got me all wrong. Well, they're idiots. who cares? And just dismiss them. And Paul says, "No, that is not the way of uh, Jesus. In fact, um, if you think back all the way to Genesis four, we have this question from uh, Cain to God, after Cain has killed his brother, God comes to him and says, "Where's your brother?" And what does Cain say? "Am I my brother's keeper?" right? As though, he is not my responsibility. What happens to him, that's his own thing. But that's actually not true, is it? Cain was supposed to be responsible for his brother's well-being. And he wasn't. In fact, he did just the opposite. And this is what Paul is saying is happening in the church in Corinth. Is there are people who say, look, as long as I'm right, then I don't care how that affects anybody else. If they don't get it right, that's on them. And Paul says, no, no, you are your brother's keeper. And what, how they interpret what you're doing is kind of on you too. And you do not want to put something in their way that is going to be a problem for them. Uh, This is uh, that verse nine, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. ask you a question. Is it right for someone to drink alcohol? It depends, doesn't it? It depends on a lot of things, actually, (laughs) as to whether it would be right or wrong, and we're not going to go through all that. Now let me ask you a different question. What if somebody has gone through all of their uh, everything on this, And they have determined that it is, in fact, right for them to drink alcohol. And then they get invited to attend an AA meeting. Would it be right for them to bring a beer and drink the beer at the AA meeting? Well, that's just a clear no, right? There's not even very much to consider. Why? If it's fine for them, why should that be a problem? This is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying you live in a culture of people who are addicted and trying to break free from the culture that surrounds them. They're trying to break free from all this sin that so easily entangles. They're trying to break free from everything that is not of Jesus. And so even if it's fine for you, it may not be fine for them. And if you get them all wrapped up in that again, that is a problem. And so you see how this is much bigger than just food sacrificed to idols. This comes down to an awful lot of what it means, That's the, the difference between what it means to follow Jesus and to follow the rest of the world. And so uh, a lot of times you know, the questions that people have is, well, is it okay for me to do this? Is it okay for me to do that? Is it okay for me to do this? Is it okay for me to do that? And it's amazing how often we ask this question only with a view me. <laughs> is it okay for me to do this? And of course, we've got to be asking, well, how does that affect your relationship with God? Is that something that brings you closer to him, or is that something that takes you farther away from him? Because that's going to be uh, a helpful way of thinking about things rather than just a one-size-fits-all rule, You, everybody does this, everybody doesn't do that. On the other hand, that's not the only question, is it? Is this something that brings you closer to God or not? We also have to be asking the question, is this something that takes the people around you and brings them closer to God or takes them farther away from God? And so you say, well, here's something that, you know, it's kind of neutral, doesn't bring me closer, doesn't take me away. On the other hand, there are people around me that this may be taking farther away from Jesus. Well, you could say then the rule is don't do it. Or you could say, well, who do you love more? What do you love more? Is it your own rights? Or is it your neighbor? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, He answered with two. So the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, and second is like it. He didn't say, love your rights above everything else. (laughs) Right? What do he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah? And yet, we live in a culture that that is not the message. The message of our culture is you put yourself First. You make sure you know what your rights are, and you make sure that you exercise all of your rights all of the time, and nobody better tell you otherwise. Now, it is one thing to continue to ensure that you do have certain rights. It does not mean that because you have the right, you need to exercise it all the time. In fact, there may very well be times where you absolutely have the right to do something, and yet you absolutely should not do that as a Christian for the love of your neighbor. Here's how we get uh, into those. Uh, ide- well, how we determine which things are which in that way. As we mentioned, it's all about this application of the gospel. So what we have to keep coming back to is not what is the rule, but who is God and who are we in Him. That's the question. And so this is uh, one of the things that Paul even says, uh, talking about you know what the knowledge they have. Oh, there's. An idol is nothing, there's no God but one. And he's like, yeah, that's right. Um, in fact, verse 6 says this. It says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now think about that. If we have, if we, if we understand that, there is one God through whom all things came and for whom we live. If we have that down, that we are living for him, doesn't that change the way we ask the question, is this okay for me to do or not? Of course it does. Because we've been asking the question based on if I'm living for me, is this okay or not? But he says, actually, what we believe as Christians, we don't live for me, we live for him. And then the same thing, he says, there's one Lord, Jesus Christ through whom all things came, and through whom we live. If we are living through Jesus Christ, doesn't that change the way that we approach these questions? Verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. Since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Conscience can be a good guide. But consciences are not a reliable guide all the time, are they? It is, uh, like a person put it, a a compass. Uh, Be a very helpful instrument in finding north and by that, know which way to go, wherever it is you're trying to go. But he says, um, the human conscience like a compass, is a sensitive instrument, and it can easily malfunction. Again, it often can't tell the difference between social custom, the way things are done, in this town, in this country, this college, this family, and actual issues of right and wrong. And this, of course, is exactly what Paul says in in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, when he was talking about his own conscience and saying, You know, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Because my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Isn't that interesting? Saying, I I have a clear conscience. I don't even know of anything that I'm doing that is wrong. And yet I know that just because my conscience says it's right doesn't mean it's right. I recognize that that still may be um, a faulty instrument. This is where we need each other. But in uh, I have verse seven where he says, "Not everyone possesses this knowledge." This means there is education that is required. But as he said in verse one, we know that we you know we all possess knowledge. But while knowledge puffs, knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Why does he? Why does he even bother saying that? Knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. see a difference between the two? I would hope so. <laughs> if somebody is, uh, is all puffed up with pride, what's that leading to? <laughs> yeah. Like they're puffed up like a balloon that's going to pop. <laughs> they're puffed up with pride, but they are hollow on the inside. On the other hand, it says love builds up. This is that building up of a creating a firm foundation. And it's like that, um, you know, Jesus talking about the one who builds his house on the rock, that when the storms of life come, that doesn't fall. This is that sturdy, steady building up. And, uh, and so there's a big difference between these two. <clears throat> but he says these two because we are supposed to contrast them and see that one is actually much more important for us than the other. Knowledge love, which one's more important after he says knowledge puffs up, but pride but love builds up, right? Does that mean that knowledge is something we ought to reject? Oh, well, then let's not know anything at all, right? Uh, that's not it either. We've got to have these in the right order and here, <clears throat> here's something I think is helpful in this regard. Jack, you want to show the comic we have? there we go All right, it says I try not to make fun of people for admitting they don't know things because for each thing everyone knows by the time they're adults every day there are on average 10,000 people in the US hearing about it for the first time and then he works out the math in case you don't trust that (laughs) that way of thinking about it of who's heard about it when they were born zero by the time they're 30 everybody and with that birth rate that means there are about 10,000 people hearing about it for the first time every day So, next, he says, if I make fun of people, I train them not to tell me when they have those moments, and I miss out on the fun. (laughs) Diet Coke and Mentos thing, what's that? Oh, man, come on, we're going to the grocery store. Why? You're one of today's lucky (laughs) 10,000. I love that way (laughs) of thinking about the difference between uh, knowledge puffing up and love building up. Look at this the interaction they have there, if I make fun of people, I train them not to tell me to have those moments, that's the knowledge puffing you up. That's when you have that same knowledge, but it puffs you up instead of uh, building others up. And so he actually goes on to say, in kind of an additional text to this, uh, saying to someone, uh, what kind of an idiot doesn't know about the Yellowstone supervolcano is so much more boring than... uh, (laughs) someone hearing about uh, or telling someone about the Yellowstone Super Bowl came for the first time. It's a whole different thing. The same thing when we can, uh, we have knowledge of who Jesus is and we look out on a culture that doesn't know him. And what we tend to do, unfortunately, is let our knowledge of Jesus puff us up and we can say, we believe that there is one God and we believe that there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. Well, do you follow him? Do you relate to him? No. Are you being changed by him? No. Well, then what is it doing for you? Oh, it lets me look down on everybody who doesn't know him and be like, what idiots, they don't know him. I can't believe they're living like that. Well, that's no good. That's actually worse than good. <laughs> that's worse than bad. It's, um, it's making the problem so much worse. This is where Paul says, <clears throat> uh, when you sin, oh, yes, this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Think about that. We look out on a culture of people who don't know Jesus. And if we think of them as people who have been created by God and loved by him, people who need to hear the good news of Jesus, then when we find someone who doesn't know the message of, uh, and the good news of Jesus, that there is one God, that there is one Lord, and that he'd love them so much that he would die for them, that he would give up his life for them, We ought to have that attitude of, you're one of today's lucky 10,000. Let me tell you about Jesus, (laughs) right? But too often we have that attitude of, what kind of idiot doesn't know about the gospel? I can't believe they even live like that. And so instead, we have people who, uh, who put up stumbling blocks in their way. And Paul even says in verse 12, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And then he makes the application personal. And he says, so here's, here's how I'm going to live this out personally. He said, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. You hear what he did? He took this general principle And he said, if it comes down to I get to have a meal I really enjoy or my brother or sister gets to have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to weigh those out. And I'm going to go, you know what? I can go without the meal. (laughs) They are more important uh, than me having the knowledge that it's fine for me to eat this. And so he puts them uh, and their needs Ahead of his own, this is what it's all about. This uh, remembering who God is, how He has revealed Himself to us, especially in Jesus, and how that, uh, what that means for us, but also what it means then that we live for Him and through Him for the good, not just of ourselves but of the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us, and God, we do pray that you would help us to have the wisdom to apply the gospel in the areas uh, of our lives that it has not yet reached. God, we do pray that you would give us... um, a better vision of what it means to uh, love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our uh, strength and all of our mind and what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray that you would help us to be as concerned as about the needs of others as we are about the rights that we have. And we ask that you would lead us. And we ask that you would help us to follow. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.